Hi guys, my name is Frank Chaparro, Senior Correspondent at The Block. You might know me as Frankie Scoops or Fintech Frank, but hopefully now you'll get to know me as the host of The Block's new podcast called The Scoop, made especially for decision makers and thrill seekers in the crypto market. Each week, I, along with one of my cohorts here at The Block, will talk with CEOs, innovators, and builders across the crypto market. Blockchain has long been touted as a technological force that would disintermediate Wall Street banks, meaning it could cut out the middlemen and essentially make them obsolete. Maybe that's part of the reason why power players across Wall Street have dismissed Bitcoin as a fraud and blockchain is overhyped. Only time will tell, but one Wall Streeter who does recognize the power of crypto is Mike Botson. CEO of DTCC, a 5,000-person operation that provides custody and clearing services to big banks like Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs. On this episode, my colleague Ryan Todd joined me for a conversation with Botson at DTCC's headquarters. We talked about what exactly it is that DTCC does, how the company is embracing blockchain technology, and for good measure, we dove into some old war stories. I'd like to take a minute to thank our sponsor, Cash App. Cash App has been the number one finance app in the App Store for almost two years. It was also the first major peer-to-peer payments app to start supporting Bitcoin, and it's still the fastest and easiest way to on-ramp fiat. No more waiting five days for your ACH payments to come through. With Cash App, you can buy Bitcoin instantly. It's also a favorite of the block analyst, Steven Zhang. He uses Cash App when he goes to Chipotle and gets money back. He saves every time he eats a burrito. That keeps Steven happy, that keeps the block happy, and that keeps the crypto world informed with the best news and research in the entire market. You can also use it at Lyft, Whole Foods, Chipotle, as I said, Chick-fil-A, Starbucks, and Dunkin' Donuts. Download Cash App today from the App Store or Google Play. I hope you enjoy the episode. So I'm really excited to have this conversation. I'm really excited to have Ryan Todd joining me for this conversation with the CEO of DTCC, Mike Botson. This isn't the first time we've met. We met, uh, what was it, two, three weeks ago? Three weeks ago. FIA Boca. Ryan was asking me about Boca on the car ride over. We're in Jersey City, by the way. Beautiful Jersey City. Beautiful Jersey City. We made the venture over here from New York. Uh, But yeah, it was at the... The yeah, wine we, event. Yeah, uh, we have a little cocktail reception for uh, yeah. for clients and friends. And Frank. Both. I snuck and in. Frank I, and Frank. Technically, I don't even know if I was invited. They just saw me there. Yeah, I think we just said, saw you walking by and just grab you and say, come on in. Exactly. We gave you the cheap wine, though. <laughs> the Shiraz. <laughs> the Shiraz. That was a bad Shiraz. <laughs> so let's start. I, I guess the best place to start is just, you know, what is DTCC? So many people... They, they recognize big financial players, whether it's an investment bank like Goldman Sachs, which is not too far downtown, or, you know, a, a brokerage firm. Um, you know, you think of like the instanets of the world. But behind the scenes of everything, right, is, is your company. Uh, 5,000 people. It's really the pipes and plumbing of Wall Street. You're the plumbers of Wall Street. Exactly. Clearing, it. custody, settlement. Um, settlement. Don't forget settlement. Don't forget settlement. It's a very so. How important. do you explain it to you? Know, if you have your fourteen-year-old nephew come there, up to you there and is say, no Uncle Mike. Explain this to me. This makes no sense. Yeah. What's a post-trade? What's a post-trade? So, uh, we're probably the most important financial company that very few people know about, uh, and we are 
the sole providers of the services you, you stated, clearing, settlement, custody, uh, for the U.S. cash securities market. So stocks, bonds, mu mu uh, mutual bonds, uh, treasuries, mortgage backs across the whole world. And the way the, the, the markets work is, you know, even though you may buy a security today, for instance, and with a stock, you're not going to actually pay for it for three days. So in that time span, there's risk. Um, and we help manage that risk. So on a normal day, we'll do about 100 million transactions will flow through us. We get them from about 50 different trading venues. So the stock exchanges, uh, as well as individual firms and uh, various other markets that are out there. We take those 100 million trades uh, and we net them down to 3 million. So somebody, uh, Goldman Sachs you mentioned, will be trading in and out of Apple all day long. So instead of doing every trade individually and saying, I got to pay Morgan Stanley for this, I got to receive stock from uh, Citibank or whatever, what we do is net them all down and say, look, Goldman, at the end of the day, you bought 10,000 shares for this price. So this creates incredible efficiencies for the marketplace. The risk part is when you have a Lehman Brothers or you have, we were talking about Knight Capital before, all those trades that have not settled, they're in essence, they're creating credit exposure for the street. So instead of them having to go against individual firms, we step in. It's, mm -hmm. you know, we become the central counterparty. So we liquidate all those trades to make sure the markets keep functioning and minimize any credit loss. And we've had over 40 failures of firms in our history and never once did we have to tap the rest of the street to, to make up for those losses. Mm -hmm. So we're just basically, we are the, the back office of the back office, so to speak. So uh, it sounds mundane, but you know, we, on a yearly basis, we do about $1.8 quadrillion of processing. So we flip the GDP every, every three days or so. Uh, we control $53 trillion worth of securities, which are in a vault, most of which are in electronic form. Some are still actually in paper form, but um, that's that's what we do amongst other yeah. businesses. No, I mean, it's incredibly interesting. And I knew when I saw you down there in Boca, I, I had to come up to you and, and, and shill the podcast because I thought you'd be the perfect guest just because it is this massive Wall Street firm, but and a lot of what you guys touch can be automated, can be improved or replaced by blockchain technology. And I remember it was, I think it was you, you guys had a conference in New York, 2018, your, your fintech symposium, and you're on stage and you said something to the effect of, you know, we want to disrupt ourselves before something else or someone else. I said, if anybody's going to disintermediate us, it's going to be us. Yeah. And I think that's the way you, got, you kind of have to go into it. But you know, the interesting part you said about blockchain when you th this company's been around 45 years and it's owned by the industry by the way we're owned we're a cooperative in essence that's owned by all the brokers and banks and whatnot that use our services but when you think about the uh, way back 45 years ago back then you would have every drunk south of hudson street running around every day with satchels with securities and checks going back and forth delivering securities between firms it was all paper-based and they would have to stop trading some day, uh, you know, on Saturdays afternoons and Wednesday afternoon. I think it was. When just Henry had a few yeah. too much to drink. Yeah, a few much, and he just kind of wandered off. No, I mean it was just so much paper they couldn't keep up with it. So when you think about a bold move, somebody forty-five years ago decided, let's take all this paper, stick it in a vault, and put it all on computers. And you know that's was called dematerialization, and created massive efficiencies. And now the U.S. markets are the most efficient markets in the world because it, it led the way in that. So, mm -hmm. but think about the risk of you know. Can you see going to somebody and saying, "I'm going to put it on something called a computer tape"? Mm -hmm. People are going to go, "Well, what happens if you lose that tape?" Right? I mean, all the 
every it's a question single point is being of failure. single point of failure. We are a single point of failure, but we, you know, it's the old thing. You put all your eggs in one basket, watch that basket. That's what we do. We watch our basket very closely. An interesting quote that you had, I, I think it was in, maybe it was in Risk or Waters Technology, where you say, we are going to disappear, yeah. or at least aspects of your business are going to disappear in terms of being this, uh, the words exactly that you use were a golden copy of trade records. Yeah, I mean, the way uh, we work today, we are the golden copy. We're, we stand as the central database for all record keeping for, this, for the cash security markets in, in the United States. Um, the point I was trying to make with that comment is, given the advent of distributed ledger, given the advent of cloud, AI, everything else, the world as we see it today is not going to be the world in five years, 10 years, 15 years. I think it's probably going to be closer to 10, 15 because of legacy technology is hard to just completely turn off. But what we do in 15 years, I can't, I can't even imagine what it's going to be like because there's so much going on at the same time. And it's not just a particular technology. To me, it's the confluence of all the technologies. It's just going to change the financial markets tremendously. So we can sit back and be dinosaurs and get rolled over. Uh, and go, you know, become extinct, or we can start reimagining what the future looks like, and act not only as the the person who provides these services, or whatever they may be in the future, but the bridge from today to tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Again, when I you know throw out those numbers, I mean that's a lot of processing that's going on right now. To say we're automatically going to switch to a, a distributed ledger technology in the next two years, it's not going to happen. But how do you migrate from today to tomorrow? How do you go from paper securities, which we still, as I said, have $2 trillion worth, to tokenized securities. Um, and what's a smart contract versus the way the contracts have worked, you know, the paper contracts in essence of today. How do you do that whole migration? And that's, I think, is as critical a role to play in the next, you know, five, 10 years as reinventing what the future looks like. Where do you think it's going to happen? I mean, like we said at the beginning of the conversation, you guys touch settlement, clearing, trading. Where is blockchain technology going to have the biggest impact at this firm and how are you guys preparing for it? Yeah, you know, it's, look, I think uh, uh, the way Wall Street created its post-trade infrastructure, and post-trade just means that once a trade is executed, you have the whole process of clearing and settlement, the exchange of ownership, the up record keeping that has to go on. It's a series of databases, right? It's a, we have a golden copy, but every firm has a database. They have a trading base, trade uh, database. They have an operations database. They have a credit database. So you have all these reconciliations that are happening all over the place with the same basic information used for different purposes. And there's no one centralized, uh, agreed upon uh, view of what that data says or what those transactions are, what the positions are, et cetera, et cetera. Um, if you could actually just have one, just think about the amount of work you could take out. Um, and how much you, instead of doing replication of work over and over and over again, it would just create massive efficiencies. So that's where I kind of see it, you know, going. Now, you know, we're, we have one major project on the way, which is called the Trade Information Warehouse, which is another product, which is a credit default swaps, CDS, over-the-counter uh, product. Uh, since that sounds a lot about, like, from your world, Ryan, <laughs> banking, Wall Street world. This was the product I suppose. This is way created. over my head. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, way it, above my pay grade. <laughs> it, is, uh, it is a product that created a lot of problems during 2008. AIG, for instance, was brought down by their positions. And nobody knew uh, what was out there. So we, you know, we had this database of these uh, contracts, and they are contracts versus securities. Uh, and we were able to give insights to the industry about 
uh, what the positions were. And specifically, Lehman Brothers, there was talks about there was going to be $50 billion, $100 billion, $200 billion, $400 billion worth of payments against Lehman OTCs. And we knew in, in reality, because we had this database, it was $6 billion. So we announced that, look, we've got most of them. We know exactly what's going on. Stop panicking. It's only $6 billion worth of payments. So we have this trade information warehouse. It is a database. And uh, with DLT becoming uh, more uh, realistic in terms of an application, we are now in the process of rewriting the trade information warehouse into distributed ledger using smart contracts, using cloud, um, and migrating off a traditional database into DLT. And that's an actually a very good usage. I think a lot of times when you see new technologies coming out, everybody's looking about, oh, this is a great new technology. Let's apply it everywhere. Life doesn't work that way, right? If you force a solution to a question that doesn't have to be answered, you're just going to waste your time. This actually was a very uh, aligned need and uh, solution set. So uh, we're hoping to launch either later on this year, uh, hopefully by the end of this year. Right now, a lot of the people who are involved in this are involved with Brexit, so their, their attention is not focused on the conversion. Uh, the work has gone very, very well so far, and we hope to, you know, probably be the biggest piece of infrastructure in the financial markets once it gets launched on DLT. So it allowed, allowed us to learn. I mean, it's a new programming language. You know, well, how do smart contracts work? How do governance work? I mean, one of the things, everybody talks about DLT, but who controls the nodes, right? Who has the ability? Do you, you're not going to have permissionless systems in the financial markets. We can debate that That's all That's a hot take. It's a hot, I, I will tell you, I just, you know, in my view, somebody thinking that there is no control of who goes in and out of a financial system, what's yeah. done in that financial system, um, I think that's Pollyannish. I think there has to be a central control. Doesn't mean you're trying to exclude innovation or exclude members, but you want to know who's in and who's out. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just in my in my world, common sense. I think sure. um, Templum, which is you know a security tokens yeah. platform, they they they're building their platform on a permissioned network because they're worried about some of these issues of security. Uh, you data, know, if data this privacy. thing forks, you know what happens. Yeah. I mean, if you you know if it forks, if you have some sort of error. Um, who 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 is the arbiter and who decides what to what to do? Who decides what smart contracts go on? And if you modify a smart contract, who's in essence the quality control? Um, all those things are the roles we play right now. They'll it'll change how we do that, but somebody has to play that role uh, in the financial markets. Going There's a forward. few players that are kind of trying to move over there, yeah. like Hashgraph is looking to roll out a public blockchain for enterprises to use. Enterprises like. Uh, Nomera is one of their is on yeah. their like global council, and they're trying to build a a, a public blockchain that can be used for enterprises. So is um, Orbs, which you know raised 118 million dollars to do so. No, I, th um, I think th there are definitely applications for public blockchains. Um, there's in a lot of data, just think, not yeah. in finance. But I think in finance, given you look, you know, it's the old uh, uh, who is it the uh, the Famous Rob, bank robber said, why do you go to the banks? That's where the money is. I mean, why do you go after the financial system? That's where the money is. So if you don't have safeguards, um, nobody's going to trust the systems. Nobody's going to use the system. So you have to be able to know who are you counter working with as well as, you know, the, where, where are the securities, whatever form they may take. You know, how, how do I know I'm going to get paid? How do I know there's not fraud involved, et cetera, et cetera? What do you think? So yeah, this is a theme I like to think about a lot and something interesting I'd like to hear your opinion on, but how do you sift through just the PR, quite frankly, BS promotions <laughs> that you see across all these different enterprise solutions? Um, Frank's mentioned a couple others, not saying those are legitimate or not, um, but 
uh, is this a consideration you're looking in house? In my inbox. Thank you. <laughs> no, look, the, there there are obviously a lot of opportunities and solutions that are out there. A lot of very bright people working in this space. Um, and a lot of not so bright people. And a lot not so bright. I mean, Geisters. Uh, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to get into uh, I I know nothing about Bitcoin, but when Bitcoin was at 18,000 and you looked at who was, you know, on being interviewed on CNBC. You called it in December 2017. You said, I don't know if it was on TV or in an interview, that you watch out for the hype Singapore, folks. right? Yeah. Singapore, CNBC. Uh, no, I don't think it was I don't on think TV. it was Singapore, but yeah. Yeah, yeah it was, look, uh, it was hype. You know, whether I can't understand what the valuation process is for Bitcoin. He called market top. Yeah, that's the first and only time. And trust me, I didn't short it. So uh, if I had done the, the right thing, I wouldn't be here right now. So, um, but, you know, I, I, we have a team that looks um, through all the various technologies from both the technology viewpoint as well as market structure viewpoint. Um, you know, we're not, we're not a firm that has the luxury of being able to make a bunch of small bets. I mean, uh, I both envy and uh, feel, you know, sorry for the, some of these firms who are investing in 20 different platforms as they try to figure out both which ones work and then how do they going to interoperate. I mean, I had one uh, lunch with one uh, representative of a big bank and he was like, look, I just want one set of nodes. I want to have one language. I don't want to have multiple platforms. And then he spent 15 minutes talking about, you know, these $5 million bets he had done all over the place. And I'm like, well, how do you reconcile those two views? And they're like, well, we don't know which one's going to win, so we're going to bet on a whole bunch of them. And I'm like, that's yeah. really not a, a winning strategy in my book. Because you you're going to have about 12 that are going to sort of win, but none are going to really win uh, under that That's paradigm. the thing I think about, like crypto, the crypto community, crypto Twitter, they kind of think that folks like Mike and, and you know, I don't know what bank CEO you were talking about, but he's clearly talking about nodes and he has an understanding of, of this technology. And, and it speaks to the point that Wall Street is definitely paying attention to this to this market, right? Uh, and and even folks like Jamie Dimon, right, who went out and for for years going out and saying that Bitcoin's a fraud, etc. Um, he he knows what he knows what's going on. Like all of these guys. Did you read right? Adam Lewin's uh, letter to Jamie? No. What yes. do you? Uh, a c- couple it, of years ago now. It came right? out a couple of years ago. It was the. Uh, I actually was down. It was at the IAF where Jamie uh, was being interviewed, and he kind of went on his famous uh, diatribe against Bitcoin. And Adam Lewin heard about it, and he was—I forget—he was someplace here. And uh, the story he told me was that his plane got delayed. He was going back to San Francisco, and uh, he ended up like six hours at the airport, then six hours on the plane, bored silly. And he, he had seen snippets of this, so he wrote a letter to Jamie Dimon explaining Bitcoin and the basis of Bitcoin, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's very, very well written, but it was kind of funny that. And at the end of the day, I think I saw him in Davos the next year, and he—he he was like. You wouldn't believe who I got a meeting with. I'm meeting Jamie later on. So, you know, he, he, Jamie knows his stuff. You know, he may, may have you, different views. You know, you views. said you don't know anything about Bitcoin, which I don't believe. Um, you definitely know something. How were you first introduced to it? Um, and, you know, where do you sit in terms of your opinion on it as whether it's a store of value or something else? Um, well, look, I mean, if you're in financial markets between Bitcoin, blockchain, um, DLT, et cetera, et cetera. What, two, three years ago, you couldn't open up the newspaper without getting like smacked uh, in the face. I mean, when we announced the TIW project and, you know, other things we were doing in the space, it was like, uh, you know, Wall Street, uh, I forgot the exact uh, headline, it's actually in my office about like Wall, Wall Street stepping into the Bitcoin space. Like we were, we weren't allowed. How, how dare you, you know, Philistines all come into this, you know, leading edge. Um, look, I, again, with Bitcoin, 
the concept of a stored stored value makes sense. I mean, the the, the a, having a um, native currency makes a lot of sense. But I think there still has to be what I still can't get wrapped my head around is the basic uh, price formation. How why is five thousand right versus eighteen thousand versus fifty dollars? Nobody been able to explain that other than scarcity that there is a limited number of bitcoins that are going to be out there or, or you know any other cryptocurrency. Um, but when you hear about you know airdrops of you know 125 million dollars equivalent of some coin, you sit there and go, you just created that number out of thin air. And uh, to me, that just devalues all cryptocurrencies because people are going to sit there and say, well, how does that happen? You don't just create currency and say this is what it's worth. It's, there's got to be a conversion. So, so for we're you know we looked at uh, various aspects of cryptocurrency in terms of. Is there a custody role we're playing? Obviously, there's a lot of banks who are looking at that space. I think there is interest of, in, obviously, in cryptocurrencies as an investable asset. Um, but there has to be safeguards. Again, there has to be, you know, people are looking for custody and they're looking for regulatory certainty. You know, being a regulated fund, you just can't say, well, today I'm going to play in Bitcoin with my client's money and hope I, I do well. It just doesn't Well, you have some way. background in, in thinking about what those types of funds might be thinking because of your role at Morgan Stanley, right? You were head of... I was head of ops. That was a long time ago. I left there in 2006. I was a much younger man. <laughs> that, was, that was a mere 13 years ago. So uh, crypto was not even on the uh, anywhere in the, uh, the agenda. But you at that can point. sort of think, you know, if you were in that seat today yeah. and folks, you know, young young folks coming to you and saying, hey, we, we need to start investing in this or investing in this for our clients, what would be the impediments that you would identify and well, I think, shut uh, look, that kid uh, up. I, I, no, you never shut them up. You know, they're <laughs> usually brighter. They're a lot brighter than you are. Um, no, look, I, I, as I said, we have a group that looks at this, and um, you have to cut through the hype and try to say, is there a real value proposition that makes sense? And I think, unfortunately, you get the cryptocurrencies, blockchain, tokenized assets, um, native assets versus just simply tokenizing existing assets. All of a sudden, it becomes a big mosh, and nobody quite knows what the heck you're talking about, right? So I think you got to start breaking it down and say, okay, DLT as a uh, technology, yeah, I think everybody understands the benefits and the what it can create for the industry. So the the point is, how do you use it? How do you migrate it? How do you not kill it? I mean, I think uh, uh, it's the uh, Gardner called it that we're right now we're in the trough of despair or uh, or the, the the trough of uh, delusion. The delusionment. That's what it was. Uh, because it hasn't, you know, saved the world yet, right? And it's, it's. We look at it and say it's, it's a kid. It's a, you know, if you think about your kid, it hasn't got me any dates. Yeah, it hasn't got you. No, no. You should. Have, I'm an accountant. You should have seen all the girls flocking after me after college, right? I'm a CPA. Woo. <laughs> uh, the, um, so you know, so that I think is just the evolution. I mean, it's a fairly new technology in the lifestyle lifetime of a technology. When you think about, we still got COBOL. Right, and uh, mm -hmm. I asked somebody about where would you go to if we get off COBOL. Somebody said Java. I said, well, if COBOL's forty years old and Java's thirty years old. <laughs> that that seems like not exactly leading edge thinking here. Uh, in terms of tokenized assets, that's just again almost tied back to um, the evolution of the financial markets and making things much more efficient. You know, and I'm I'm careful to say, look, ICOs. There are some legitimate ICOs, and obviously, if you look at what happened in that space. Uh, when I heard about banana coins and dental coins, you had to wonder whether sanity, I should have called that market top two. I would have been, you know, rich again. Uh, <laughs> Short dent coin. <laughs> so, love that. Con I, I like the banana coin actually better, but anyway. Um, 
But then you get you get into this is an investable asset class, and what are the characteristics that will allow people to invest in it? And again, it's, it's regulatory construct, it's legal constructs. You have to know when you buy it, how does it settle you? Are you there's finality? I was at an SEC hearing. Uh, Adma actually was at that one also, and uh, somebody who was unfortunately was being rather obnoxious, but he was asking a legitimate question: Is you know, if you have a problem with a Bitcoin settlement, who do you sue? Who's the contract with? Right, and nobody really can answer the question. Uh, and if you look at some of the frauds that have occurred, who do you turn to when you know the, the Canadian fraud where he supposedly died and the the laptop sits there untapped? I mean, who do you, mm -hmm. who who's there to protect? So there's there's just uh, we just put out a white paper about you know what would it take for uh, crypto assets to to be acceptable, and these are just basic fundamental building blocks of any financial markets that you can't walk away. It's not to impede progress, but nothing's going to impede progress more than a whole series of frauds, right? If a bunch of people get burnt uh, in a hyped up asset class, be it cryptocurrency or ICOs or anything else, you know, first it'll be, well, SEC, you know, don't impose your will on these marketplaces because you're impeding innovation. And then when the fraud happens, it'll be, well, SEC, where the hell were you? Why, mm -hmm. why didn't you protect the investor, right? So you got to kind of walk your way through that whole process and say, what are the characteristics we need to have in place? We put out research, I think, recently, Larry Cermak, our head analyst, on just the sheer amount of exchange hacks. I think we're over $1.3 billion since since Mt. Gox or, yeah. or before that even. Jesus. I mean, I and then J.P. Morgan, maybe it was a year ago, I think, put out research that showed one-third of all of these venues have been hacked. Um, is that Basically, the biggest problem? Yeah. Look, it's losing faith in something that – could have value, you know, be it blockchain or be it ICOs or be it cryptocurrencies. Um, at the end of the day, you have to trust that when you put your money in it, you're going to get your money out. Look, we create trust. All, all we do That's for the, the financial market, in, we're right? in the business. We know, you know. But, but Bitcoin's in the business of replacing trustless or trust trust systems. Yeah, because you don't trust the system. I think people want a system they can trust. I'll turn it on its head, right? Mm -hmm. You want to know you're not the, you know, the old poker adage, if you're sitting at a table and you can't figure out who the sucker is, you just did. Yeah. Right? So, you know, I think if people feel like the game's going to be rigged against them, they're not going to go into the asset class. But if they feel like there is transparency, there is control, yeah, they'll go in. God, this is sounding really geeky, but that's yeah, <laughs> just the reality well, listen, of life. That's, that's yeah. chatting. Yeah, the game. Yeah. <laughs> I want to walk back to a comment you made earlier just on real value add application you're seeing right now at DTCC is TIW. Uh, so in your view, what are the potential post-trade immediate and long-term cost savings? Like, How would you size that um, when you speak and, and meet with other investors, other executives? Um, in your opinion, what, what's that real? Hey, look, I just, uh, we just saw a, uh, a study by... Uh, McKinsey, they're doing work for us, and uh, talked about the uh, the global capital markets are about six hundred billion dollars in in revenues cost, and they're coming under under tremendous fee pressures because you know uh, there's push back on uh, the asset managers for the fees they pay. Are you really getting performance for the fees? So you're seeing this whole shift to um, you know ETFs and you know basically non managed. Money, which is driving, which is done cheaper, so it's driving the fees down for the asset managers. They're the ones who pay Wall Street. Our fees are coming down. If you look, they estimated McKinsey that if you looked at that six hundred billion dollars, um, if you look at ops and tech combined, 
it would be about 120 billion of it, so 20% of it. That's on a global basis. U.S. markets, let's say it's about a $65 billion for equity markets. There is their uh, belief is that within five to seven years, I think, um, that 65 is going to go down to $48 billion. So you got this massive pressure on costs, right? And all the Wall Street firms have done the same things over the last few years. You know, they've all tried to modernize, but we all sit on you know, old legacy technology. You've outsourced, you've, you know, sent things overseas. Um, you've done all sorts of things to try to drive that cost base down. Um, but at the same time, you've got the pressure of compliance and regulation, which is making your costs go back up. And now you got the, the arms race with cyber, right? And we spend right. more and more and more. Cyber is the biggest risk. How much do you spend on tech overall? Uh, my, my entire budget for expenses is about a billion four and, and a little above that. And tech is literally 50%. So it's $700 million okay. is, is tech, you know, 700 plus. So you say the majority of that is cybersecurity? No, the majority of that actually is just running the place, but cyber, it, it's hard to say. Protect investment. Yeah, protect, it's hard to say because everything we do is designed for resilience and protection, right? So if I'm putting in a new network, is that cyber or is that just putting in a new network? Gotcha. And the answer is yes. It's, you know, you're, you're designing everything you do. Uh, you know, everything we do going forward as we redesign, we use blockchain or we look at cloud, uh, we look at AI, a big piece of it is resilience. How do you protect yourself against cyber? So I think, you know, where's the savings going to be? I mean, you've got that bucket of costs I just talked about. And the, you know, the Nirvana is the 50 million piece, 50 billion piece, let's say, which is the operations piece, probably a little bit overstated, but you want to draw, draw that down. Um, will it make your tech costs go down? I'm not sure. I mean, I think uh, tech was going to be forever going up uh, in one way or another. It's just, it's just morphing itself into different parts. It used to be, yeah, traders. Now you got algorithms. Mm -hmm. you know, so it's just the replacement of human beings by technologies is a pattern of, of history that's been going on now for 80 years plus. It's not going to suddenly stop. Now we talk about cost savings. Have you seen any value capture on potentially revenue opportunities or? Well, it's I think it's revenue substitution, right? As I said, I think you're, you're seeing this fee pressure uh, go down. But if somebody comes up with a better uh, mousetrap, a better way of trading, obviously money will go to those who are successful. So I think that's that's really the game that can be uh, played. I just think, look, the financial markets have grown up. I mean, it's terrible for me to say this, given I've grown up in it. Um, as much as we focus on efficiencies, we've always been very silo-driven. We've always been very product-driven, very fragmented in each firm. You know, we're probably, we and the other firms like ourselves in, in the financial markets create massive efficiencies, but we only go so far. I mean, in that realm of what I showed you about $65 billion for the equity capital markets in the U.S., I'm about a billion dollars of it. Uh, for my estimation, I should be much bigger because I, if I'm getting bigger, that means I'm taking all the costs out of the rest of the street. And that's the, that's the strategy we, we, we try to pursue. But we're relatively a small piece. Um, the rest is just, again, very fragmented, very customized, very specialized. And what blockchain or you know, cloud to a certain extent looks to do is just take out all those pockets of cost that sit across the, the entirety of the financial markets. It's hard. It's really hard. I mean, you know, as I said, I sit on 55, I'm a proud owner, I say, of 55 million lines of COBOL. Uh, we're in the process of replacing that. You know, don't laugh at COBOL. Co COBOL is very, you know, it's, it's resilient. It works. Uh, we train a lot of kids on, on, on COBOL, but we obviously are kind of nearing an end of life situation here that we have to get our heads around. Um, but, you know, I have to replace with a technology and transition to that new technology as well as the rest of the street because everybody else is sitting there on COBOL too. 
I felt good because one of the big banks said, oh, we're sitting on Fortran. And I was like, I don't know why, but that makes you feel better. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. But, what about um, just looking Do your down. listeners know what Fortran is or is this an inside joke? <laughs> <laughs> I think they might. I think so. Um, you've had a long-ish career. Thank you for I that. I don't want to insult my guests. No, I've, it's been a uh, while. And you've, there's a, Ryan and I were talking last night about some of the stories that we were thinking about having you share. Um, your first day was an exciting first day for a CEO. Yeah, uh, my first day was the, uh, the collapse of, uh, of Knight Capital and, you know, great, great guys. I mean, uh, so it's it a was a high frequency trading firm. It's a high frequency trade. Well, it actually we're market makers. So they're, they're people who gather up, um, trades from, let's say, the retail side of, uh, of the industry and then trade them against the street and make a small spread. They don't take big positions or anything. But uh, on August 1st of uh, 2012, um, they, had a, they were turning on a new uh, order management system. And unfortunately, it, it, unbeknownst to them, triggered another piece of rogue code that had been sitting out there. And they basically were uh, the counterpart to every trade. So that's the order management system. That's like what they engage yeah, with. Yeah, that's what they engage with the outside world with yep. in terms of, you know, buying and selling securities. And they, uh, um, they are put in this new, uh, new application for the New York uh, to trade on the New York Stock Exchange. And unfortunately, this rogue piece of code meant they were basically the counterpart to every single trade done on the New York Stock Exchange for the first 15 minutes. So they've accumulated a, uh, a massive position, and this is, it's been written up. Uh, they weren't aware of what was going on, and ironically, it was the floor traders on the, the, on the floor of the stock exchange who spotted it and said, this is strange, why is night on every side of the transaction? Called them up, and eventually they pulled the plug on it. But by the time they were through, they had um, created about an $8 billion gross position, which is way beyond what they normally would do. Uh, and, you know, they just didn't have the capital uh, to be able to take on that sort of position. So technically, they were in default at that point. Um, other firms stepped in and ended up buying the position from them and liquidating the position. Uh, but again, as I said at the beginning, being the central counterparty, if they failed, um, in that instance, we would have to liquidate that, that position on their behalf. Any losses, to protect ourselves, we have something called margin, which is almost like a down payment. Um, we had, because they're market makers, they, they didn't have a large amount of margin. So if they had losses, we would have had to mutualize it. We give it back to the street based on a, on a formula. But we worked with them. We worked with the counterparties. We worked with the regulators. Uh, and we helped them basically survive the week. And over the weekend, they were bought uh, by a firm called uh, uh, Getco. Get and then Getco eventually was bought by Virtu. Uh, Getco came, came in. And, well, first by KCG. Well, KCG yeah. was bought by. Yeah, KCG was bought by uh, Virtu. Virtu. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a heck of a way to so what, someone, so what was the phone call like? They, they... Well, they said, they just called, called up and said, you're about to have a really bad day. <laughs> and uh, they were absolutely right. Uh, but you know, it, it, it's, this is interesting about this firm. We have to deal with crises. No CEO orientation, just straight no, into the right. sharks. Well, I have been around for five years, so I had a little, little bit of foreknowledge. But uh, I had a great team. We, you know, had a, what you learn is, um, as a CEO, you step back and you let your experts handle the situation and you just try to keep everybody focused and calm. Um, you know, it's what you were saying about the, like the younger people. I've always said that probably the most junior person in the room is going to be the one that has the right answer. So make sure they're, they're able to speak up and, and talk and we'll work our way through it. So we work with the regulators. We work with the firm. Uh, and as I said, and the, uh, the people I had were fantastic and working with them. I mean, 
Uh, one of the nicest things that ever happened to me is about two months after night happened, uh, one of their heads of operations sent me a box full of night baseball hats and T-shirts and all sorts of stuff. And he basically said 170 people, 170 families owe their livelihood to you. And I thought that was really touching. It was like one of those things where you don't really get thanked a lot for doing the right job. And that meant more than somebody else giving me a pat on the back is that we help people, you know, get through this and not be become bankrupt overnight. So that was kind of cool. Yeah, the firm would have went out of business? It would have gone out, yeah. We, we could have acted technically. We could have put them out of business the first day. Uh, but again, we knew the activity they had. We knew what was going on with another firm. And we reached a conclusion working with the regulators, working with our board, not to get too mundane, but working, made the decision that the best thing to do was help them get through the rest of the week, get to the weekend with the thought that it was a good company. It had, you know, franchise value. And that's kind of like why you guys exist, right? We protect the the markets. Yeah. Yeah, we protect the markets. I mean, again, in the Lehman Brothers, we had, you know hundreds of billions of dollars of open positions to, to liquidate. If you simply dumped it onto the marketplace, you'd crush the market. So our, our role is how do you deal with a liquidation or bankruptcy like Lehman, but not upset the U.S. cash security markets? And in that case, again, we did it very effectively. We actually, when we sold all the positions, um, we used a uh, outside advisor because that expertise we don't have, but we actually ended up making a small net profit that we gave back to the company in the end. Mm-hmm. So, Do you think that was like the... The most dramatic moment of your time as CEO, or Night Capital. I, I, I know you know you, you got you know I know the question you're going to come. Admittedly, up did not know the the impact of this story prior to researching uh, more about this, but we have to hear about on the ground Sandy Superstorm oh, Sandy. Oh yeah, so the vaults, the vaults, the vaults. Uh, my favorite YouTube video of all time, I think, was somebody actually said we had the secrets of the 2008 financial collapse in our vaults, and that's why we flooded the building, which. <laughs> we're, good. we're good, but we're not that good. We didn't create super. That sounds setting. like Bitcoin Twitter controversy. Yeah, yeah, conspiracy. It's, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, when Superstorm Sandy hit, uh, we did. We were at 55 Water Street. Somebody in our company loved to have our buildings on the water. We're on the water here in Jersey City, and our backup site in Brooklyn is on the water. Um, but f- basically, the equivalent of five stories on the ground, we had a massive vault. And it had about a million and a half pieces of paper, securities, most of which were not negotiable, but they were paper form, uh, worth about $2 trillion. And uh, if you think about putting the New York Times Sunday edition in a washing machine and watching it spin around for a while, that's what it did in a massive room. So the water came down, punched a hole through a wall, uh, probably eight feet by six feet, and flooded the vault. Uh, it took us about three weeks to get the water out, but same thing happened. When you, you pump the water out, you're creating another cycle, uh, spin cycle. So we walked into this room, no power, smelled like oil because the uh, oil um, drums for, or, you know, the canisters for the uh, generator was were on the ground. Uh, it was cold and there was paper stuck to the ceiling, paper stuck to the walls. So these are securities. These, these are, are securities. Yeah. These are securities. So I won't go into excruciating detail, but uh, we had to get special firms in and uh, armed like, guards. I saw the them off. I like, saw Men in hazardous material suits were were dying. Oh, yeah. You down there? Did you have like a hazmat? Didn't have the helmet on, but no, we you were wrapped. You literally were wrapped up in a paper hair dryer hazmat. up with the security. <laughs> yes. 
Somebody, somebody asked me, how do you dry them out? I said, you get about you know, 30 miles of clothesline and about 2 million clothespins, and you stick them out. That's it. That's not what you did, though, is it? No, no, no. We actually, uh, we had a- Is that like proprietary secrets, how you dried these things no, up? No, no, oh, no. Oh, they no, froze no. them, apparently. Yeah, we froze. Yeah, there you go. You were listening. Yeah, we actually had to uh, freeze them, and, and nobody picked us up in the press, but, which was but funny. But what about the ink, though? Like, was the ink messed well, it's up? Well, no. I mean, no. This is high-quality printing okay, here. Okay, this we, isn't we, like- we, no, this isn't cheap. Lamination. Yeah, you know, this isn't ballpoint pen on a you know a scratch <laughs> pad. This was good stuff. Uh, but yeah, long story short, we 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 had refrigerator trucks outside, which nobody's asked why are there refrigerator trucks all over Water Street with men with large guns. Um, freeze the paper. Had to drive drive them down to a plant down in uh, Dallas, Texas. They actually brought them to our building, then to a plant, freeze dried, freeze dried um, the water out of it. And then, because it was full of water from the river, it was all gunky, we had to send it to a radiation plant. The radiation plant zapped them with gamma rays or something, uh, actually <laughs> killed everything, and then you had to repackage them, wow. bring them back by truck. You didn't want to fly them in case the plane crashed, then you knew you were you know, out of luck. But drive them back up, and then down on the uh, on the first floor here, we had like a zero, uh, like one of those rooms where the vacuum was pulling everything out, and people sat there in hazmat suits. You had to tape your wrist and your ankles and everything. So Why would you even, need hazmat suits? Well, it's not really hazmat. It's just like oh. the paper covering, you know. So you, Ryan you, feeding me yeah, fake news. It was like an overall. It was like a coverall, <laughs> you know. Uh, very, very fashionable. But you know, everything taped so you couldn't stick the certificates back inside. Oh, you know? that's right. Yeah, and we had watchers and watchers of the watchers and people with cameras on their heads and stuff. And uh, you had to scrape all the gunk off of it, and then we re-inventoried. And out of a million, I found a million, three million, five pieces of paper, we lost all of about 300. Incredible. And that was it. It was an incredible. So what would the value of that have been? Uh, of if we lost a whole billion. No, no. If you, just out of those 300. No, it was nothing. Actually, it was a lot of the, either we got substitutes or we got uh, oh, indemnifications and, and stuff like that. We had, we did have something called computer records, which really helped in the end. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, yeah, we were, uh, you know, technically if it was a bearer bond, somebody could have presented it, we would have been at loss, but we, we never had that that problem. It was an incredible effort. I mean, the vault looked like an old, big, big old uh, bank vault. The thing that was amazing was had these steel doors, let's say about seven feet, you know, circular. And the water completely, these were stainless steel doors, the water completely pitted the steel doors. The, the, when we got the locksmith to help us open up the doors, he said, don't ever close these again, you'll never get them open again. <laughs> so then we had to have guards literally standing outside the vault with guns because you couldn't close the vault door. So and then if there is ever, if there, you know, somebody said, don't tell the story because everybody will say, well, ah, that's a, there's a reason to go electronic. I'm like, yeah, there's a reason to go electronic. Paper yeah, so. is not really safe. I'd imagine if if Superstorm Sandy Sandy happened in 2017, you'd see the the headlines roll out that blockchain could have prevented it all of this. Oh yeah. yeah, the blockchain field community would have a field day. Field day, yeah. But you know, uh, oh, but you guys have uh, made a lot of progress. Well, in terms uh, of uh, since that's then. two trillion. That 54, that's out of 54 trillion, right? So almost you know the vast majority of what we have is in electronic form. It just there's vestiges. There are small companies that still issue paper stock. There's some old certificates. There's sometimes you get a one certificate that represents everything. Uh, but we're moving. There's very little common stock that is in paper form anymore. Probably Walt Disney shares because everybody likes to give their kids Walt Disney shares. But even they stopped issuing stock quite a few years ago. So <laughs> yeah, blockchain would have saved would have avoided this whole problem. Therefore, the reason, right? You don't have to worry. I mean, one of the big things with cyber, right, is destruction of data. And who's got the golden copy? How do you replicate it? Everything else. 
so one of the things we're obviously looking at is if you put your data on blockchain and everybody's got access to it, if somebody gets hacked, it doesn't matter if it's me or somebody else, and I can replay it, then the system's a hell of a lot safer. I guess a question I have on that front, we've talked about Knight, we've talked about Sandy, uh, contingencies. So how would DTCC, or Institutional Custodian, uh, running a hypothetical distributed ledger uh, for post-trade services, how would they handle a situation like Sandy? Is it, that's just a, a massive well, question. No, you know what? I, I'm going to say blithely, once you get to that point, because it is a distributed ledger, you're no longer uh, worried about the one and only you know caretaker, custodian, disappearing. I mean, the information is going to be spread out everywhere else. So that's why I say when I think about the role we're going to play in the future, we're not going to be that central database per se. We're not going to be the central custodian, but we'll be the caretakers over uh, that distributed ledger. We'll be the ones that, again, work with those with smart contracts, do the nodes, allow people in and out, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but the, the concept of having a central record keeper, that disappears. That's no mm -hmm. longer needed. And so how many of there are you at that point? Uh, as individuals or as there a firm? Folks working at the firm. Well, well, right now we're 4,500 people. Look, well, is technology good or bad? You tell me. And well, people will, will have to learn new skills. People will, will change into something else. I mean, that happens all the time. Ginny Romney from IBM was on uh, CNBC today. I'm doing a lot of plugs for CNBC somehow. Uh, <laughs> but, they, uh, but she was talking about AI, AI is going to change everybody's job, but it's just going to create new jobs, right? You have to believe in the, in, in the positive impact of technology, but... You know, if we're going to be Philistines and stick our heads in the sand and say, please, you know, I don't want to, wor you know, worry about the changes, we'll get rolled over. Kind of want to shift gears to custody. Uh, custody for crypto or? Correct. Just custody And we, we haven't talked about STOs either and security we tokens. We talked about it a little bit. Yeah, look, I mean, security tokens are coming, uh, you know, or they they exist. Obviously, there's, there's a few firms that are out there. Um, talking about there, to be sure DTCC is not custodying any cryptocurrency. To be sure, mm, to be not sure, thinking about it, they're yeah. thinking oh, about yeah, it. Yeah, well, we're definitely thinking about it. We're we're we are actively thinking about it and and determining again cr for both. It's the right thing to do for the marketplace. Um, you know, when I wouldn't say we're uh, totally altruistic, but we do believe we have a role to play to protect the marketplace, which is not impeding progress and you know utilizing whatever technology is best. So, I mean, yeah, securitized tokens are going to be out there. But as I said before, um, the SEC literally just came out with a paper this morning. I haven't had a chance to read it about ICOs and STOs. And, um, you know, it, it, it's going to have a, a structure around it. And we're, we're going to figure out our role to play in there. Uh, and it's not going to happen in five years. We're going to be looking at it. You know, we're looking at it right now. Um, because you can see the groundswell that people are interested in the mm -hmm. process, and we think it's a role we want to play. The last thing we want to see happen is fragmentation in the marketplace. I mean, I, if I wanted to be a jerk, I could sit here and go, look, let's have all these different blockchains of cash securities all over the industry, all different platforms, and I'll sit in the middle, and I'll be the translator between all of them, and I'll just take a toll uh, and you know, help basically feed off the inefficiencies and the friction. That's not the way we think. We really think about what's the best thing for the financial markets. You know, at the end of the day, people lose sight that you want to drive down the cost for the retail investor. I mean, who you think about pool money in the U.S. I sound like a, I'm on a soapbox, but you know, so much of the pool money is is pension funds and mutual funds, you know, insurance, et cetera, et cetera. That's the little guy on the street. So people are very focused on 
if you drive down the cost, you drive the friction out of the system, that means the return to the, to the guy in the street is that much better. Mm-hmm. And so that we take that role seriously. That that you know, if we can help that happen, so much the better for everybody. Well, that's great. I think that's a good place to end. I it, it was a great conversation. So excited. So. Thank you. Thanks for coming all chat. the way to beautiful Jersey City. Oh, it was our pleasure. Yeah. And thanks for sharing some. And you, you owe me a bad glass of Shiraz. I do. I do. Uh, I'm sure I can find one. I, I only drink bad wine, really. There you go. <laughs> so. Thank you very much. Appreciate Thank you it. very much. Thanks, Michael. We'd like to take a minute to thank our sponsor, Cash App. Cash App has been the number one in finance on the App Store for almost two years. It was the first major peer-to-peer payments app to support Bitcoin. And it's still the fastest and easiest way to on-ramp fiat. No more waiting five days for your ACH transfer to come through. With Cash App, you can buy Bitcoin instantly. When you're ready to take full ownership of your private keys, just use Cash App to scan an external wallet's QR code. It's really that simple. Cash App also comes with standard banking features like direct deposits and others your bank would never even consider, like Cash Card, a customizable debit card that lets you instantly save every time you use it at Lyft, Whole Foods, Chipotle, Chick-fil-A, Starbucks, Dunkin', local coffee shops, and a whole lot more. Download Cash App today from the App Store or Google Play, and thanks for listening. Thank you.